Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. This episode of The Huddle is brought to you by The Athletic Club Oakland, a local sports bar we love. The ACL has shut down their entire side street, created an enormous outdoor space called the Town Gardens, and they filled that space with tables and huge TVs and their full complement of excellent food. It's big, it's comfortable, it's a great spot to watch the NFL, the baseball playoffs, and Warriors games with other fans while still staying safe. I love this spot. I love their food. I love their space. I love their TVs. The Athletic Club is now our go-to spot to watch all sports, especially the Warriors, and we hope you'll join us there. In fact, if I see anyone at the ACO in a huddle shirt, beer on me. The Athletic Club Oakland, where sports fans can be sports fans again. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are in. Warriors huddle with me, Bram, with me per usual. My boy and producer, Marcus. What's up, Dub Nation? And our master of all things, Sal Maxine. How's it going? Gentlemen, rejoining us after basically no hiatus, the Golden State B writer for the Golden State Chronicle, a man who attends every single Warriors practice, press conference, shoot around and game, and the proud father to a number of air plants, Mr. Rusty Simmons. What's going on, Rusty? You guys will be really proud, and I know this is what all the listeners want to know. All five of my air plant children survived both the Portland and L.A. trips. They look good. I don't think that you and I use the word proud the same way. No, no, no. I am not <laughs> proud of that in any way. And I will let you know the number of emails we got regarding your plant parenthood saying that you can't be the father to a plant was impressive. But if I'm being totally transparent, it's not as impressive as the amount of emails we got asking about Maxime's tree climbing hobby. So, you know, both of you boys kind of broke the mold last week. Nicely played. I think this week you're going to get a bunch of emails that Rusty works for the Golden State Chronicle. I didn't even know that existed. It is. No, it, it's a new thing. Congratulations on that new role, Rusty. Um, I don't know if you've started your own paper or what it was. Can we go out of our way and say, this motherfucker Marcus showed up 20 minutes late, and the first thing he is saying is that I screwed up the intro? I mean, I'm just going to say, I don't feel like that's appropriate, and I hate you, Marcus. Well, as usual, I'm on his side. Um, that was that was a mistake, and but he's exactly right. It probably is a new role. They uh, just they'll pile on as much as you possibly can, and they'll give us every role possible. And, I mean, if there's ever been an indication that you'll always side with Marcus, when you say he's exactly right, what you're talking about there is me, not Marcus. I'm the one who said it was a new role. I, anyways, I you just, misspoke. He said I probably have a new role, which. I probably wouldn't even know about yet. Like they would just be like, oh, Rusty can also do that. The upside is there's some symmetry here because I feel exactly as I did at the beginning of the last podcast, all uh, uh, four of us recorded together. I now hate Marcus and Rusty. So that, I mean, that's great. And it's an easy way to start. Boys, let's. Well, I also, I also climbed trees uh, while I was in LA this weekend. So. Uh, you can hate me and Maxime as well. Did you do it internationally? Don't try to put yourself in the same even category of Tream Kleiner <laughs> as Maxime. He will dominate you in that I'm not in at that level hobby. yet, but I, 
I'm not at that level yet, but I do have a carabiner. This is, I mean, oh. the amount of pandering ass kissing you're doing in the first five minutes here is really impressive. And the thing that sucks is I know it's working. We haven't heard from Maxime, but I can just feel the vibe that he's on your side too. And I'm not sure what to do to stem this tide, man. It's just a loss for me. No doubt. I mean, first of all, dropping carabiners in here. And like, as far as I'm concerned, like you and MT have made no indication of any interest in any green thumb and like air plants and trees are way closer, you know, I think yeah, we're doing well, all right. Out I, am, I am busy running the Golden State Chronicle. I'll have you know, <laughs> and there's not a lot of time for hobbies on my side. Boys, enough of the entree. We have got uh, Mark Medina from NBA.com joining us a little bit later on, but I wanted to start with the main event, us, and I wanted to begin with my favorite segment, the Off the Court Report. If you're new to the podcast, this is not a hard thing to explain. Marcus, Maxime, and I are like you. We love the team. We know exactly what happens on the court, but Rusty's got an advantage. He follows these guys off the court. So for this segment, I shut up. We give Rusty the mic and we ask him for anything he's seen off the court recently. Rusty, what do you got? Uh, my favorite one recently is in LA um, on game day. Uh, they're they're sitting around. They, they have decided that Stephen Curry and Draymond Green are not going to play. And Steve Kerr kind of gives us an inkling. He goes, but they're going to have to earn it. Like, they're, they're going to have to work. And Steph Curry goes through his normal thing, which is just ridiculous. Like, <laughs> at his age, to see what he goes through before every practice, before every game, after every practice, um, it's absurd. And then you see there's nobody left on the court. It's Draymond Green. It's Draymond Green and the entire coaching staff. Hmm. They're watching him. They're working him through stuff. They're crushing him. They're making him go through all seven spots on three-point line and saying, you got to make three in a row. He'd make two, cuss at himself. Make two, cuss at himself. Finally make three, move to the next one, cuss at himself. It was <sighs> crazy he they they would not let him leave the court they were making him work he was drenched and this is a guy who came into camp I think as physically fit as he has since his third year in the league like he played in the Olympics he was ready to go um, and still they were just killing him they were like if you want to take this game off you're going to earn it and he he did and then he sat there for I don't know, probably 15, 20 minutes after the shoot around, after the team bus had left, after the coaches had left, sat there and talked and talked, I think, respectfully about where the team is going, what his leadership might be. Uh, one of the really important things I think he said is he, he knows he's the leader of this team. He knows he is the vocal point on this team, but he can't lead Kaminga, Moody, Wiseman, even Jordan Poole yet until he knows them. And so he's trying to spend more time with those guys so that he knows how he can talk to them. And that all leads back to the Kevin Durant situation where he got in his face and went further into it in the locker room. And he's trying to get away from that. He's try He's going to be that way. He's going to be that way. But he's trying to figure out 
Is this guy okay with it? Is that a guy okay with it? I know I got to leave, but how do I do it? I love that. And I got a bunch of follow-ups. But before I ask them to you, let's hear from our sponsors. Autumn is in the air. The pumpkins are in the patch. And our friends at Manscaped are here to make sure you don't carve your pants pumpkins when you're grooming, if you know what I'm saying. Make sure you're keeping things fresh this fall with the leaders in male grooming and their brand new fourth generation performance package. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their performance package 4.0, the Manscaped boxers and the shed travel bag. Get comfy at home and on the go this season. Boys, get ready for a cuffing season like no other. Ready to take the leap into fall with Manscaped? Join the 2 million men worldwide using Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. Make your balls a priority this fall. Choose Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. And we are back. All right, follow-up number one. Um... Draymond from behind the arc. So we talked about this in a previous podcast and about if he can just even hit two a game, what a difference that'll make for the Warriors offense. It sounds like they agree if they're putting him through shooting paces around the arc. How'd he look, man? You know, I mean, I heard you that he, he, he wasn't making three consistently every time, but just generally speaking, was it going down? What's the shooting form? You know, what would you leave thinking? He's obviously worked on it. Um, when Kevin Durant came to the Warriors, Draymond Green's game rightly changed, right? Like he didn't have to shoot the ball anymore. It, it would be absurd for him to shoot the ball when he's in a lineup with Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant. He knew that. He wasn't working on that. He was working on lobs and passing and figuring out the defense and fi- finding back cuts. That, that was what he was working on. And he kind of lost it. We, we forget that he was actually a decent three-point shooter early in his career, but he just dropped it. He wasn't working on it. He That wasn't what he was focused on because that wasn't what was most important to the team. Um, I think he spent the entire summer working on it. Look, it, I'm giving you details on him making two out of three. That's pretty stinking good. And I don't care if anybody's guarding you. <laughs> 67% of work. Um, if it is when guarded, he should not shoot that. And he knows it. He's the smartest player on the team. He's going to pass the ball if somebody's guarding him. But if he's wide open, he's supposed to let it fly. And I, I bet he can make 40% of those. MT, we've talked about, Maxime too, we've talked about the KD Draymond interaction, I mean, a billion times from a billion different angles over a number of seasons. So hearing Draymond now say, I want to touch base with the people on the team to get a sense of what their communication style is to make sure that they can handle it. How does that make you feel? Like, are, are you heartened? Do you feel like he's growing? Do you feel like he's just saying this because that KD thing came back to the surface via this podcast and that now he's just touching the base he knows he has to? I mean, what, what's your first impression? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think Draymond's a listener of the podcast. So shout out Draymond. Well, obviously, um, he's a reader of the Golden State Chronicle, my friend. So he definitely knows about us. <laughs> um, but no, I think it's just a sign of his growth and maturity, and him realizing uh, the impact of his voice. So he he can't 
take that same approach that he would with a veteran of eight or nine years as he would with a rookie or someone that's only two to three years in the league and him recognizing that and wanting to take the temperature and pulse of the team and the communication style and then being able to adjust as needed. I don't think he's going to fully meet them where they are, but I think he's going to set the extremes of his um, you know, like range to the right level to make sure that he doesn't go too far with the people who can't handle it. It's really encouraging. I mean, it, it's not rocket science to understand that different people receive messages in different ways, but someone as demonstrative as Draymond Green and with the reputation he has now built, not only on this franchise, but in the league it, it, in general, right? For him to be willing to figure out what the learning style is, what the communication style is of players who are much younger and with a much less status uh, in, in the league at large is really encouraging. Um, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for it. So I, I'm, I'm happy to hear it. And you guys said the right thing. You said he's willing to meet them where they are. He's willing to adjust to what they're doing. Um, and that's what Draymond's reading right now, right? Like if you talk to him about Moses Moody, he says, that guy's already shown me physicality. That guy's a shooting guard. And he's out there ripping at Dwight Howard's arms and yelling at him and getting in his face. He loves it. He loves me to get in his face and to yell at him and to tell him what he's doing wrong. That might be different for James Wiseman or for Jonathan Kaminga. And I think that's the growth is Draymond Green saying, look, everybody's going to listen to me, but they're really going to hear me if I speak in their language. And it sounds like he's getting ready for a big year. If, if he viewed this as just a stepping stone year, let's get everybody into their roles before we make a real run, you know, next season or the season afterwards, he's probably not spending a lot of time figuring out exactly how to communicate during the preseason. If he's doing it now, it suggests he might see some big things coming. Um, but let's see if we all agree and let's do that by getting into our next section, five golden questions. So this is our mailbag. All these questions come from listeners. They occasionally get personal. Today didn't get too personal, although I was able to kind of steal uh, some personal stuff that we'll run into. And here's the first. It's one I'm interested in. It isn't immediately topical because Steph didn't recently play there, but I still want its answer. So, quote, we always hear that Steph doesn't like playing in Staples and can't shoot because of the lights there. What the hell does that mean? So, Rusty, I, I, you and I have exchanged texts before, and you've said he doesn't like, if I'm remembering right, the boxing lights. And because I wanted to make it seem like I knew what you were talking about, whatever I texted back, I don't remember you know, specifically, but it was something that intimated like, oh, yeah, of course, the boxing lights. I hate shooting with those, too. But I don't know what the hell boxing lights are, and I don't know why lights would be different in different arenas. So what is it about Staples, and why is Steph less competent of a shooter there? Yeah, it's really weird because Staples hosts both the Lakers and the Clippers, and the lighting is different. Um, so generally a shooter, like if you talk to Clay Thompson or Reggie Miller or Ray Allen, some of the greatest shooters of all time, they talk about the backdrop, what it looks like in the back. Um, Steph doesn't like the lights specifically when the Lakers are playing at Staples center, it is boxing lights. It's a square on the court, uh, where everything in the crowd is darkened out. He doesn't like that. Um, 
And the only places I think now that do that are theater lights, movie theaters. That should be called theater lights, not boxing lights. Okay. I blame you yeah. now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a boxing. That's why the that's why there's a square. It's for a boxing match. <laughs> but yes, it could be for a theater event. I'm sure. Also, um, but yes, I think those are only for the Lakers and Barclays for the Nets now. I might be wrong, but we can we can look around the league. I think those are the places, and he, he doesn't he doesn't like those things. And you can watch him squint, and he doesn't he can't pick it up. He doesn't like it. Um, you watch other shooters, and it is about the backdrop. There, it's how far away something is from the basket, and, sure. the, and you watch him all the time. On they're they're watching what is going on in the backdrop, and they look at that constantly. Um, and and that's what other players adjust to. Steph does not like the lights in those places, um, and and we've seen that. Now I say that, and then one of his best games ever <laughs> was at Staples against the Lakers because he recognized the moment and, and stood up to the lights. But uh, he doesn't like it. Maxime, be honest. Did you know what the hell the term boxing lights mean? Oh yeah, no, definitely. Mm-hmm. It's it's something <laughs> we use a lot in the tree climbing industry. That's right. That doesn't surprise me at all. When you guys are getting ready to do some boxing, you you get the lights out, just yeah, go into the trees and talk about it, or what? Yeah, I mean, it refers to right. It's a it's a square, um, which you might understand that you know we put around the tree to make sure we can see all angles. You know, you don't want to catch <laughs> a dead right. branch. I mean, I hate. Not only did I not like that answer, I hated that Rusty found it so so funny. How many trees have you climbed like in the last month? Uh, no comment. And COVID, <laughs> it listen. COVID, we don't know if it's um inter uh. Uh, if it's across all living forms yet, you know, I've seen a lot of, um, mold growing on trees Hmm. and, um, you know, look, the Delta is a real thing. So I'm just trying to stay safe. Wow. Marcus, is it possible that he lied to us about the tree climbing habit? Does he actually not climb trees? And if this is all just false? No, I read a great article on the Golden State Chronicle about redwoods being particularly <laughs> susceptible to uh, the Delta variant. So I'm I'm with Maxime on this. I mean, I'm going to find a teammate. If I have to bring in somebody else to this podcast, they will ultimately team up with me. If it's not any of you guys, let's move to our second question here. And uh, it's an important one. So, quote, who should the finishing five be for Golden State in the playoffs if everything goes according to plan? So let's put this in the playoffs, Rest. You take this first. Who we, We've spent some time thinking about who should be the starting five, but I think there's a pretty good argument to suggest that it's who finishes the game, not who starts it, that's the most important. You know, in the past, during the dynasty, we had the death lineup. So if things go according to plan for the Warriors, health doesn't come in, everybody develops the way they'd like, who do you think finishes out a playoff game? I mean, it's kind of – I'm not trying to take it out here, I promise. But what are you finishing? Are you finishing a win? Are you finishing a comeback? Um, it's and, the and last it's, five minutes of a game, and it's tied. Who do you put out there? Okay, okay, yeah. I was I was going to say this is actually a compliment for the Warriors. Where I think they have a roster that can do both, can do either, right? Sure. Like, um, I think they have an offensive lineup. I think they have a defensive lineup. Um, if you're tied, you play – Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andre Iguodala, Draymond Green, and Kevon Looney. Yep. And, and I, I now they're down. Put put them down five points. They they've got to come back. It's an offensive look. Who do who do you replace? How does that lineup change? Oh, well they they flirted with that one the other night. They looked at they looked at that the other night. 
um, they they looked at Steph Curry, Jordan Poole, what they think will be Clay Thompson, and then Otto Porter and Belly. Yeah. Like that 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 could be the offensive line. Like we're gonna we're gonna score six points on you in a half a second, and then we're gonna be right back in this game, and then the defense subs back in. Finish it out, defensive. They're up five now. They have to close out a, a playoff game. Who's in there? This is so weird because I've written almost entirely this preseason about their offense. The ball moves beautifully. They're shooting a ton of threes. It makes sense mathematically. But they actually have a good defensive lineup. If they if they put Avery Bradley, Clay Thompson, Andre Godala, Juan Toscano Anderson, and Kevon Looney in the on the court they got a great lineup, and then they got Draymond Green who can sub in at any of those five positions and guard them better than anybody on the court. MT, would you prefer Gary Payton the second or Avery Bradley for that 15th spot? And to be transparent, I'm really hoping you see GP too so that I can separate you and rest you a little bit. It's such <laughs> a fun, It's su- such a funny argument anyway because are they going to use the 15th spot? Like I know, I know people care about this. Like they, they want to know who's going to be the fifteenth guy. But it cost them three times what we all see as the contract. It cost them three times that for a guard. Is that what the Warriors need? Yeah, I'm sorry. Is your clarification on this question actually? It's a pointless question, Marcus. Don't answer it because there might not be anybody there. No, I mean, I, yeah, please, please answer it if you want to, but, <laughs> but come on, like, what are we doing? If, if you're worried about, if you're worried about the 15th dude, isn't there a bigger problem in your franchise? <laughs> yeah, but also we have to fill this podcast with some content, so I wouldn't mind to find out who uh, Marcus's 15th <laughs> man is. So go ahead, you can start this answer with F.U. Rusty. Uh, <laughs> I have an opinion, and then what is that opinion, MT? Who would you bring in with the understanding that there might not actually be that contract handed out? Yeah, I mean, between those two, I I think Avery Bradley um, for a few reasons. One. Uh, Steph called him a bulldog and obviously likes him. I think that means something to the organization. They'd be willing to put some more money, especially if they didn't use the MLE. Um, I think secondly, he's the 15th, you know, roster spot here, but in the rotation, he's a lot earlier than that. Um, He's really good defensively on the ball. Um, He's probably lost maybe quarter to half a step, but he's still really good. Um, and I think we need that to um, Rusty's earlier point. If we want to do the death defensive lineup, um, I put him in there. I mean, as crazy as it sounds to take Steph out of a lineup, if you're going just for a stop on one possession, I think it's, you know, Bradley, um, Clay, assuming he's healthy. I put Wiggins in there. I think he's grown a lot defensively. And then Juan T and Draymond. And I think that's a really hard lineup to score on. You're talking about if the Warriors are like up one, 10 seconds left, and the other squad has the ball kind of deal. Like exactly. not not like a, a three or four minute stretch, but no, 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 literally no, no. a single possession kind of scenario. Exactly. Well, well, they did they did it during the preseason. It was a meaningless possession. It was a preseason game with 0.4 seconds left in the quarter. And they put their death lineup in there. I don't remember that interaction. What happened? 
it it's exactly what MT's saying. It was Avery Bradley. It was Andre Godala. It was Juan Toscano Anderson. It was Draymond Green. It was Kevon Looney. I mean, it makes sense. They're, Steph Curry is incredible at most things on a basketball court. But one of the things that doesn't fit that description is defense. So if if literally all we are talking about is a single possession and they do have a guard who is basically known for D and Avery Bradley, who, by the way, I was interested in in Boston. I mean, I can remember conversations on this podcast about trades for AB so I can see his upside. I'm so surprised. I I feel very strongly that it's going to be Gary Payton the second. Uh, I'm surprised that we're trending in the other direction. I feel like if we're talking about defense, I mean, GP2 is almost as as good. I think that Avery Bradley has taken more than a half step back. I don't think he looked particularly impressive in what I've seen of him in the preseason. Uh, you know, like for his size, Gary Payton the second's like blocking shots. He's all over the place. And I think he just adds so much more floor spacing dimension, even though he's not a good shooter, just the way he moves around the court. Like, I just think he gets our system better. And based on Kerr being our coach, I think that kind of stuff really matters. I'll push you're, back on that, although it doesn't necessarily not. matter. And then I'll, I'll go to you, Rusty, in a sec. But the the one thing I will say, one of the themes that the Warriors are going to have to negotiate, one of the hurdles to the success we're all hoping they're going to have, is this weirdo combination of immediately capable veterans and then young players who are not sure what they can do, and they're not sure what they can do. You know, if and when we get to the playoffs, there's going to be a bunch of guys who have never done anything at that level. One of the advantages AB would have over Gary Payton II, who I really like, is that GP2 has no experience in the playoffs, has no experience in the league, and would be one of those people who has to learn everything again. So even though I agree with you, Maxime, I think his upside probably eclipses what Bradley could do if if what that would create is another chasm, another player who we would have to worry about their experience. Mm. I would hedge towards someone who's been there before, which is why I would pick Bradley. Rusty, what were you going to say? Yeah, I, I think Maxime is right on the confusion. Uh, it, it is hard. And the crazy thing is, I think they're going to ultimately choose not to have a 15th man. So we've had all of these conversations during the preseason about who's going to be the guy, what's going to happen. Avery Bradley had a chance to win the job. He is – I know what he was in 2016. I know what he was. I watched it. I voted for him. But he is not that player. Um, And I don't know why that is, but he's not that player. So we rewind a couple of podcasts, the last time we were all together, and we were all confident that Wiggins would not be in the fold. And it led to some pretty pessimistic projections by us. We had some uh, some predictions, and you know, they, we, we may have gone a little bit low. Wiggins is back now. It hasn't looked in particularly great, but he's playing his way into shape, and we know he's going to be there for all 82. And you know, COVID will not be a concern. Vaccination is not going to keep him out of any games. So let's get some updated predictions, boys. Marcus, we're going to start with you. Like I said, keep the mic. I want how many regular season wins, where they finish in the regular season standings, and then where they finish in the postseason. Take us through it. Um. I think last time we did predictions, I said 47, 46. Um, I'm up at a couple games um, just because Wiggins is there. Um, I I still think we fall just shy of 50. I think we hit 49. Um, 
there's something we're a deep team. Um, I think we were texting during one of the games and I was just watching the rotation and I know it's preseason, but if all those players like Otto Porter's playing really good, um, you know, Bialika can shoot it. Like, I think when you start to play all those people and assuming people are healthy, um, there's no room really. There's not a ton of minutes for Moody and Kaminga to even get on the floor. Yep. You know, like, are you going to play them over Damian Lee? Like Lee's, you know, a, a veteran at this point, Mulder is shooting the lights out. Like it's hard to f- see playing time coming in for those guys. So um, I like our depth. I think that'll be helpful for us. Um, I think we finished just under 50 wins. I think we hit 49. Um, I think we land in the four or five range of the um, playoffs and, and get seated. And um, I'm just nervous about Utah. I think they uh, always choke in the playoffs and I hate their fan base and strongly dislike their fan base. And um, I just think they didn't lose anybody. They added a couple of people as well. Uh, and I just think they're a sleeper. I'm worried if if we're the four seed and they're the one seed, and I think they will win the West, then I can see a first-round exit for us. If we don't have to play them for a couple rounds, then I can see us making a deep run and shocking a few people. I'm, I'm similar. I'll go fast. Reshi will crescendo to you. So 52 wins for me. What I like, man, it's, it's not just that Wiggins is going to be there. Now that we've had a chance to watch these guys play, this roster is deep. This roster is competent. This roster is well-constructed. Um, I like them hedging towards three pointers. I like that they have recognized a pace that works for this offense and I believe in them. So 52 wins fourth seed in the West. I think they, they roll into the playoffs with a home court advantage. I think they uh, make it to the second round. They beat the clips in the first round and then they lose a seven game barn burning series, probably against Utah in the second Maxime updated prediction. What you got? 55 wins four seed. My heart says we go all the way to the chip. My mind says we uh, we we finally tap out in the conference finals. Reggie from the future, what's the actual answer? What's going to happen? Uh, I told you before we got on air that I, I hated all of my predictions, <laughs> but I was right. They're going to win forty-eight games. That's fine. <laughs> You, you we were close, Graham. Very yeah. close. We must use the word hate hell of differently, too. It's like, so when you said I hated all my other predictions, what you meant is I was a thousand percent right? Well, I mean, I hated the way I went about it. Like, I was <laughs> I was thinking about it, like, as they were going to try to figure out who they were early on, then Clay Thompson was going to come back, and he wasn't going to be himself. And then for, like, the last 15 games, he was going to be good, and they were going to be – they were going to make a run. But I hated the number, and but that's probably the number. Like they're they're a good, experienced team. They're probably going to win forty eight games. That's that's what those teams do. That's what the history of NBA tells us. That's what they're going to do. Where does that now? In the West? What, now what they now what they do after that is really important, right? Like. What do they do as the fifth or sixth seed? That's what's important. But th- that's what they're going to do. They're going to win 48 games. Sixth seed, sounds like. Finish it out for me. 48 games. Where does that put them in the West? 
fifth or sixth seed against against. I know you guys disagree with me, but I don't think the West is good. Well, but those are two different things, right? I mean, what we could we could ultimately agree on the West is tight. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that the West is crazy deep and good and that they're guaranteed to win the chip. But we could all say that there's not a huge amount of separation between the teams in the West. You know, maybe they're all mediocre, maybe not all great, but they're also not leaps and bounds better than one another. So, you know, there's a chance where what those standings could be could change drastically because there's not a huge amount of separation. No, I just don't think they're good. (laughs) I'm not saying you're wrong, but okay. Fifth or sixth in the West, where do they end up ultimately in the playoffs? Also, fifth or sixth in the West is not an answer, dude. Which one? Fifth or sixth? Uh, Sixth. Okay. I think the Lakers have a chance to be good. I think Miami showed it. I think the Warriors showed it. I think it takes some time for a team with those kind of stars to develop into something. Lakers might be good. I don't think a ton of other teams in the West are good. Utah is solid. Denver's injured, right? They, who are you competing with? Phoenix. Phoenix I, has some has a good coach. <laughs> Marcus, you're Rusty's best friend. Will you answer this question for him? Where the hell do they finish in the playoffs? This whole, like, Rusty, did you take some mushrooms before this podcast? I feel like we are like all over the board on this question. Where do they finish in the playoffs? Yeah, they'll make a run. They'll they'll go to the Western Conference Finals. Whoa, really? I did not expect that. Against two Lakers, uh, they were definitely losing that. They might. They would probably lose to Utah or to Phoenix. I'd be happy with the Western Conference Finals run. Um, final question, and here's the personal one. So a little bit of setup. Ben Simmons is back. I'm sure everyone has heard. We're not really sure what's going to happen with him. It sounds like the Sixers didn't even expect him at the facility, uh, and then he showed up, did the test for vaccine as is necessary uh, out there, and is now, I don't know, I guess we'll find out. I don't know if he's going to play in front of a uh, sea full of fans who are booing him or not. But it leads to this question. So if you guys were in his position and you were now playing in a gym of, you know, it's your home floor, but the fans were going to boo you just nastily. Do you think you'd be able to do it successfully? You know, would you be able to play well in that setting or would you uh, put your tail between your legs and and not be able to succeed? And per usual, instead of just giving me a straightforward answer, what I want to do is, uh, is guess with all of us, um, why don't we start with me, boy? So if I'm in that scenario, do you think I would be able to play well? Nope. <laughs> nope. In part because the amount of sweat coming out of your forehead would cloud your vision to the point that you wouldn't even be able to see the hoop. <laughs> Rusty, do I have your support? Yeah, my support, but you would be so worried about what the fans <laughs> were thinking about that uh, you would be completely in a jar. <laughs> So in a shocking twist, right? Because I've said before, I'm way better if people think that I am good. So if I was coming into a gym of people who were presupposing I was shitty, you know, who like literally like just thought it was a wasted draft pick, like that kind of a scenario. Like, why did we take this guy at, at two or whatever? We think he's terrible. And that's the reason they were booing. I'd be awful. And the sweating would be awful. And I mean, I would immediately fulfill all their lack of expectations. It would be terrible. But in this scenario, they just don't like me. They think I'm an asshole. 
that's actually a thing I do really well in. It like lets me out of my prison to want to constantly please everybody. So, you know, I mean, I'd still have to be able to play at an NBA level, which I don't necessarily have. But personality wise, the boo scenario, I think I would actually be good in, which is uh, which I'm sure is a surprise. Let's go to Maxime. So, Rusty, let me start with you. You've got to know Maxime a little bit and you're a great judge of character. What do you think for him? So he shows up, you know, they, they used to love him. Now they're booing the hell out of him. How does he react? He would do something amazing in the first two minutes, like <laughs> dial on a loose ball while they were booing him and like taunt the crowd. And it would <laughs> completely turn it. Like, yeah, he, he would change it. That's a hell of a compliment. I'm going to go out of the box. It's not very fair. I think Maxime is so fucking principled. I don't think he shows up. I think that if he was in no, this no Ben chance. Simmons, this Ben Simmons thing, if he had been like, I'm never showing up, you know, and then they they press him to it and Rich Paul is screaming in his ear. I can see Maxime staying at home. I see him not like literally being willing to cough up the money out of his bank account and uh and and not doing it. Maxime, what's the answer? Wow. I, yeah, I didn't know that was an option here. I thought we were already in the scenario where I had showed up. Yeah, I kind of screwed that over. I really cheated. It was, I mean, it was a totally inappropriate answer by me, but one I still feel pretty good about. Yeah, I mean, that means you're both right, because I would absolutely have a sensational performance if I did show up, but there's no way. Like, do you remember uh, I don't remember the sensational. I don't oh, remember no, anybody saying on. sensational. I said that. I said that. Yeah. Turning the whole crowd with that had that much vitriol to be booing at me, you know? <laughs> But I, yeah, there's a Seinfeld uh, like bit right where like Costanza gets a job and then he he gets fired from the job, but then he just like shows up at work on Monday anyways. You know, it's just like ha, that didn't actually happen, right? And I feel like if you're the life equivalent to George Costanza, you're not doing things right. Take that that insightful eye to Rusty. What happens with him? Ooh, yeah, no, I mean, I think Rusty is a is a very principled man. So now that you've opened up this can of worms, I absolutely do think that that he shows up because, like, you know, he's a he's a team player, right? And that's the thing is, at a certain point, I'm sure over the years, despite Rusty's excellence in the field of journalism, you know, he's received some some negative uh, emails from from uh from readers or maybe shit you know with this sort of pedigree maybe this was like actual handwritten letters as well you know and i think he's learned to tune out that noise and just show up for the team and put in a solid game no matter how many boos there are in the crowd i think rusty plays better than he normally would i think you are i think he enjoys conflict i think he would embrace conflict I can see him showing up and before the tip for no reason, booing the booing crowd, just looking at them and give him like the princess bride boo and then hitting his first like seven or eight shots just because he thrives in that kind of an FU environment. Rusty, what's the answer? Graham's closer. I hate to admit it, but he's closer. I thought we had something. (laughs) I I finally get a win. It took me like two hours, but I finally got a right answer. I love that stuff. I love I love it. When people are going at me, and that means I did my job, like that, <laughs> right? Like Steph Curry, it doesn't matter what I say. Steph Curry says when they boo me, that means they're paying attention to me. That 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 is it, right? That that's why you show up. That's why you do your job. I love it when people say I'm doing something wrong when they boo me. Have you ever had a scenario like that? Like in, in, in 
any kind of sporting scenario or anything. Have you ever had some situation where people were demonstrably like angry at you and you still just came through? I mean, in high school, I was great at <laughs> athletic adventures, but it happens all the time, right? Like, you know how it is, Bram. We, we live on social media platforms. Like you put something out there and it's just like a fact and people rip it. That, that, that's the life we live. Right. But to me, it's beautiful. Like it, it means people are paying attention. Maxime, did Rusty just casually mention what a great high school athlete he was without actually having to do that? Like, didn't, didn't he just give us a bunch of other conflict information that didn't harken back to his high school, apparently mm, amazing mm, success. Mm, good point. Yeah, I did see that happen. <laughs> As did I, Rusty. Outside of the Golden State Chronicle, where can we find your work, man? I know that everybody needs more uh, Simmons in their life. How can they find it? Man, hopefully at this point, everybody uh, is still old school like me, hard copy of the San Francisco Chronicle. If not, we do a ton of good stuff on sfchronicle.com. I don't know what my social media stuff is. Somebody else manages that, but uh, they got Twitter and all kinds of nonsense that works really good. Let's take all jokes out of this since uh, I've screwed up the name a thousand times. The San Francisco Chronicle has been my go-to paper legitimately my entire life. Really has been. Um, you know, for, for as long as I've been following the Warriors, I've been following it through the uh, the sporting green of the Chronicle. So if I screwed up their name early on, it was only jokes, nothing but respect for me with that in mind. Let's turn over to Mark uh, and see if he can't give us a national perspective on the team. Woo! It is my pleasure to announce rejoining me after way too long, a former Golden State beat writer, the new Western Conference specialist for NBA.com, and a man who must now be considering what to do with a handful of Russell Westbrook murals in Los Angeles, Mr. Mark Medina. What's going on, Mark? Bram, Bram. I am honored to be on. Only a few days since uh, I got the new gig, so... Appreciate all the plugs, man. Yeah, well, I saw that the uh, that you had been dubbed the new West Coast specialist, and immediately I kind of pompous about it. Like, reached out to a friend, and even though he didn't ask me at all, I was like, "Oh, just so you know, I'm friends with Mark Medina." Casually mentioned it <laughs> on my Slack channel too. I mean, I think we both know I'm that type of a douchebag, so I figured I might as well finish it out by having you on. So, no, the the pleasure's mine, man. Well, how about this? You you will appreciate this, and I think people uh, in the audience will appreciate this because it has some Warriors connections. Uh, you know, as as everyone knows here, I used to cover the Warriors for the Bay Area News for from 2017 to 2019. When I left that job to take USA Today, when I told some people uh, in the Warriors organization, one person was like, man, you're here less time than Kevin Durant was. <laughs> and then uh, another fun, uh, another fun reaction. And I think he's fine with me sharing this because he's been sharing it with everyone else. Uh, Raymond Ritter, the Warriors, uh, you know, PR guru, who's one of the best in the biz. When I told him about my new job going to NBA.com, he started calling beat writers. Larry Brown is a sports writer. So I guess uh, I have a ways of, 
of hopping around from job to job, but no, I'm, I'm just blessed with all these opportunities. Let's put these conversational topics together. So uh, we have a Patreon series of supporters, which we cannot you know, give enough credit to. And they're all a member of the Slack channel. And they reached out to me a couple of days ago saying, hey, look, Medina's moving on from USA Today. Do you know what's up? And Mark, I immediately popped my collar and I was like, ah, oh, moving on to USA Today. It's my best friend, whatever. I'm moving on to NBA.com, my best friend, whatever. So, you know, it, it was what it was. Your ears must have been burning. Um, we need you, Mark. So I couldn't be dripping with more Homer optimism as things stand. You know, the, the Warriors just, as far as I'm concerned, beat the doors off the Lakers with their C team. So I, I am I am fired up and we need your objectivity. We need your national take to kind of hedge some of the shit that I'm throwing into this mic. But before we get there, we've already kind of talked about it. Let's jump in a little bit. Tell me about this new gig. So the specific role with NBA.com, what is it? What's your title there? What are you doing? I don't know what my title is, but basically I'm – a sports writer for them, cover the league. I'm based in LA. I'm going to be handling a lot of the West Coast. So I know I'm going to be making trips up to the Bay for sure this season. Because the Warriors have a lot of things going on. And then I'm going to be doing a lot of uh, on-air work with NBA TV. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of similarities with what I was doing before at USA Today. But now I can add even more TV responsibilities to what I was already doing. So it's, it's really win-win. And, you know, I was at the Laker – warrior preseason game at staples center so i totally understand why you're feeling giddy about the warriors and their outlook and all that especially playing the way they did without steph curry and draymond green so yeah i was uh getting an early window into what the warriors will look like that's what i want to hear and we're going to jump into that in a second one last follow-up at least as far as the new gig any additional pressure working for the league itself you know like has adam silver gave you a call and suddenly reminded you not to shit the bed or does, does anything shift now that nba is literally a part of your business card well here's the thing i think the people at nba uh dot com can attest to this one of the the questions i had is what's the independence from the league and i got you know a lot of good assurances that you know i'm going to be operating the same way i did and now that doesn't mean that there's not any standards but those are the same standards that i had when i was at previous media outlets where you know you have to wear your journalism hat you have to be accurate with information you have to be fair um you know those are all Principles. So it's not like now that I'm at NBA.com, all of a sudden I'm going to be writing stories about NBA League Pass or saying how amazing every single game is. That's not what the gig is. It's about uh, you know telling stories, giving analysis on, on the games and players and teams and front offices, all that stuff. So it, it'll be pretty a lot of similarities, but I think just you know a bigger platform with being able to do some more TV work. So the I love Adam Silver facial tattoo that you now have is just coincidence. Nothing to do with the new gig. Just kind of a, I don't know, a statement to the world. Yeah, it, it, it's never been there. Uh, we're talking about, you know, they, they care about accuracy. I care about accuracy, too. So I am strongly saying that that is inaccurate. I've never had that tattoo. <laughs> You've never had a facial I, tattoo? I've, been, I've, I've feel never like had any facial tattoo. Never have worn any sort of memorabilia touting how great the league is so i, I got, love I you so much so here here's a piece of random legal advice on the things that are just completely outlandish 
you don't have to dispel them. If I accuse you of being like a dragon part-time, you wouldn't have to be like, look, dude, there's zero <laughs> truth to the dragon rumor. I don't know why you're saying that. And I think we all know you don't have an Adam Silver uh, facial tattoo. I, I happen to know that tattoo is on your back. Let's talk about warriors. <laughs> That's an accurate we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> and what we're going to do is try to segment um, that is old to me, but somewhat new to you. We call it the glass half full and the idea is easy. We look back at a recent stretch of basketball and then talk about things we like and things that we don't. And you already mentioned you were at Stables last night. I know you've had a chance to watch the Warriors. Um, so let's get some glass half full takes out there. And let me throw you a softball. So what's something Warriors fans should be excited for heading into the season? I think the big picture thing of what they should be excited for is I think that, you know, they're going to be – uh, a playoff team even before Clay Thompson comes back. And that's not to say that the dynasty is restored. I think there's still a lot of steps there. But when you're comparing it to other years where, you know, 2019-20, they're in the lottery. Last season, hey, they're just above or below 500. They're needing Steph Curry to have brilliance every single night just to make the play-in tournament. Uh, I think that they are making a lot of growth. Uh, and I think the fact is that Steph Curry and Draymond Green are going to be who they are. The Warriors fans already know all that. I think you're going to see, you know, Andrew Wiggins uh, continue to blossom. I think Jordan Poole is growing before everyone's eyes, and you have this guy named Andre Iguodala who's back on the fold teaching, you know, some of the young guys how to play chess against uh, some of these teams. So they're, they're going to be – in the mix, I think in kind of that four through eight range throughout the season before Clay comes back. And then once Clay comes back, there's going to be time for him to get acclimated, get his win back, get the rust off. And then at that point, um, you know, you can make a case that I want to make a case they're a contender, but they're going to be in that upper echelon in the West Conference. What I love about Andre, and I got a bunch of follow-ups for Poole and uh, some follow-ups for Clay because he just wrote an article about him. But there was a moment last night where the camera showed Andre talking to Otto Porter Jr. And it was like two seconds and you couldn't hear anything that they were saying. But what really struck out to me is the impact that Andre can have off the floor in addition to on it. So over the last couple of years, <coughs> excuse me, what Steph has been asked to do in addition to being, you know, the main cog on the offense and the face of the franchise and the superstar who gives them even a chance at winning, let alone the playoffs, is he's also had to kind of teach everybody how to play the offense. He's been the guy who's been talking to people on the bench. You see him occasionally, um, you know, speaking to guys on the floor. And that's not something that's fair to ask of him. You know, and what Andre can come in and do is hedge that responsibility. Andre may not be the same player he was on the floor two, three years ago, but his knowledge of the game and his knowledge of the Warriors offense sure as hell is. And if he's coming in there and is now the person who can bring along some of the new guys and be a mentor to some of the young guys, freeing up Steph to just focus on what he can do with his body as opposed to his mind, huge upside there. And I'm, I'm really excited to see where this goes. But I digress because one of the things I really wanted was your take on Jordan Poole. So you saw him last night, you know, you saw him against LeBron without Steph's help, without Draymond's help. Early impressions. What do you think of Poole? Yeah, I, I love how he's aggressive. Um, he definitely has a flair for the highlight reel. Uh, I, I saw a, a pretty cool tweet from one of the Warriors accounts saying that he's just playing horse right now against the Lakers. And 
and I, I saw seeing up close that that's accurate. And I think the other cool thing is there was a stretch in the third quarter when Steve Kerr really got pissed at him for defense. Uh, and, you know, they talked it out. And after that, Jordan Poole, uh, you know, went on a tear. And afterwards, Steve Kerr was saying, like, he's one of those young guys where he wants to be coach. And when he's telling you constructive and critical feedback, he's the nod your head, yes, sir, no, sir. And then he goes out and course corrects. And that's a huge testament because a lot of, a lot of the things that get in the way of a young player's development, a young person's development, is, you know, their tendency to think that they ha- know all the answers. And look, like, I'm still young. I was younger before, and I, I had those tendencies. And, like, you also always had in the back of your mind, like, I know what I'm doing. I'm not, you know, whatever. But you also wanted to be able to disguise that confidence so you're not conveying sense of entitlement, this feeling that you're the smartest guy in the room because those types of people are the most annoying to work with and deal with. And so I think the encouraging thing is beyond Jordan's skills, um, you know, the fact that he's coachable is going to just accelerate his development even more. I mean, it's crazy because, you know, my job in particular has evolved so quickly in these last two years. But I remember, you know, my final – uh, year with the Mercury News on the Warriors beat, you know, shortly after he got drafted, the, the sense that I got talking to coaches around him, uh, you know, from his high school to, to college days is that he just had so much confidence and he had this swagger, but he also was coachable. And I think because of that, uh, he's, he's just scratching the surface. I'm not going to like go all crazy and say he's making all-star teams or whatever, but there's a real feeling in the Warriors organization that he's going to be a leading candidate for most improved player, which is scary to think because he already improved a lot last season. So it'll be fun to watch. I imagine that leading into last night's game, you had already kind of heard about the Jordan Poole hype and were at least aware of his stats. Well, I remember Lakers, about huh? your texts about how amazing he was. And I just thought, oh, this, <laughs> this Warrior fan just drinking some Kool-Aid. Like, what does he know? You mean this best friend? I've already established that you and I are hella close and you cannot <laughs> just call me a Warriors fan. But so you came in with my perception already. You had heard about Poole. Now you watched him. How much fit, you know, was is this hype justified based only on what you watched last night? Yeah, I think the hype is justified. I think it's just a matter of like, he's not leaping into all-star type levels yeah. yet. Um, he is going to be the dependable young guy role player. And you know what? That's fine. I mean, the, the Warriors have Steph Curry and Draymond Green. They're going to get clay back. Uh, they have Andre Iguodala back. But I think it's very reassuring that unlike in previous seasons, the Warriors' success did not hinge on the health of their all-stars or lack thereof. Um, he's a guy that isn't going to be able to replace Clay Thompson's defense, but he can at least be a service, put a serviceable role so it's not so detrimental. Um, and I think, you know, the, the part that you mentioned about my piece that I did on Clay and his return and what outside medical experts think you know, as much as they're optimistic about clay, like they point to, you know what, initially defense is going to be a struggle, which was clay's calling card. And that's encouraging that Jordan Poole can at least mitigate that deficiency a little bit. 
He had a couple strips of LeBron while LeBron went to the rack last night that made me uh, very enthused on his possibilities on that side of the ball. That article you're talking about. So it is called, quote, Warriors Clay Thompson can thrive after ACL Achilles injuries, experts say. Will he be as effective? Mark, spoil the ending. What do you think, man? So you've, you've spoken to some people. You got a sense of who Clay was before. As you sit here right now, I mean, we know he's not going to come back until after Christmas and it's going to take him a while to ramp up. But based on your research, answer the question that your article poses. Will he be as effective? I don't know if he, if he will be as effective as pre-injury because Clay is a six-time All-Star and one of the best shooters ever. But he's still going to have his numbers. I think the feeling is he'll eventually get back to his All-Star level and now it's a matter of how long will that process take. Now, here are the big qualifiers. The medical doctors I talked to haven't worked with Clay directly. They're not on the Warriors' payroll, so they sure. don't have a window into his day-to-day rehab or have access to his medical records. You know, one, a few of the, the medical experts I also talked to admitted kind of the, the unprecedented territory that Clay is encountering where he's not just a player that's coming back from one major injury, it's two major injuries. It's an ACL injury and it's Achilles injury. So there's not like really any data that shows how players come back from two catastrophic injuries, but knowing the nature of both of those injuries and clay, there was a lot more bullishness and optimism that clay is going to, his shooting is going to be fine as it was because he doesn't need a lot of room to operate. He doesn't need to dribble the ball a lot. Uh, He can drive and catch and shoot. And so they think that that's a really good fallback, especially because, you know, they think that, you know, maybe the first three to four weeks of his return, he's going to encounter conditioning and rust issues that will prevent him from attacking the rim. So that's a really good th- thing to fall back on of, hey, uh, you're just going to do catch and shoot from three-point range. Um, the defense, the defensive part they concede is going to be a challenge, uh, but they trust that, you know, by the end of the season, He'll be playing solid defense, maybe not lock down the opponent's best score type of defense, but playing solid enough team defense where he has an addition to be on the floor. Let's uh, weaponize this information. So time for predictions. You can imagine. So I've, I've already dropped predictions into this mic that may have been too optimistic. You are now playing the role of hedge. So let's start regular season wins. Um, Let's assume things go well. Don't assume anything, actually. Your understanding of where the Warriors are, what you think is going to happen. We're only a week away from the start of the season, so there's not going to be a whole lot of uh, more additions or anything like that. How many wins do the Warriors end up with at the end of the regular season? I think they get get about 55 wins, and, uh, you know, they rank – I think that they would rank fourth in the West – um, I think that you're going to see the Warriors being competitive for the most part before Clay Thompson returns. But I think that there's going to be some games where, you know, they drop the ball kind of like last year because, you know, Steph and Draymond can only do so much. And while I'm bullish on the rest of the roster, you know, they'll, they're not guys that will produce every single night. Um, but I think that they'll be comparable. They'll be competitive. When Clay comes back, it's going to be one of those things where they take a few steps back to take a step to take steps forward. So I think that there's going to be some rough patches when Clay comes back, maybe sprinkled in with some really good shooting performances, but everyone else just trying to get used to 
playing with a, a really, you know, good all-star and accounting for the fact that he hasn't played in two years. But after that, you know, projected window of sometime in January, I think after the all-star break, they're going to be going on a tear and, and making some noise. So they go into the playoffs with a home court advantage, at least as the fourth seed. I'll take it. How far do they make it in the playoffs? Um, I think that they advance past the first round and that's it. But, you know, the way that uh, the playoffs are all about, it's all about health and just momentum. So there is a, a path for them to kind of seize lightning in a bottle. And you also have to account for other teams like, do the Lakers with their roster, do they wind up breaking down or are there uh, uh, concerns that they have with Russell Westbrook still ongoing? And then you go down the rest of the West, you know, with the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard isn't expected to be back at all this season. So I think the, the Warriors are handicapped better than them. You look at, you know, the Utah Jazz and the Denver Nuggets, they have more continuity. Uh, than the Warriors based off of last year's roster, but uh, they don't have Steph Curry on their team. They don't have Draymond Green on their team. Uh, and in the Nuggets case, they might not have Jamal Murray for the entire season. I, I think for the Suns, you know, I would put them above the Warriors because they have a lot of continuity, and I'm pretty optimistic that Chris Paul, even at 37 years old, will still be able to still be healthy because of uh, the work that he's put in and, and the Suns' medical staff. So. Yeah, there uh, there is a window for them to compete against them, but I think, in fairness to the Warriors, the fact that you know they had gone really to rock bottom and are working their way back up, it, it's a process to get back to where they were before. I mean, after two years where we were just desperate for some sort of relevant basketball, this concept that the lowest rung they could hit is at least playoff hoop, I'm on board for. And I also agree that the spectrum of possible results for this season seems to be way broader than any year in recent memory. Yeah. I mean, like it's this weird combination of the West being pretty tight and not really sure, um, you know, who is going to separate themselves like the, the Dallas's and the new Orleans of the world. I'm not sure what the hell to do with those guys. And then also the Warriors really unique combination of elite talent and then really young talent and how the hell that's going to work. I mean, we haven't talked about people like Kuminga or Moody or whether or not this combination of superstars and teenagers can go anywhere. But I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think fourth is reasonable. And I think second round, unfortunately, is also reasonable. Um, well, well, I got I got to change this. I'm actually going third now that I think about it. I mean, Western I, Conference I, Finals, let's go. No, 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 not Western Conference Finals, but the third seed, they advanced the second round. Um, you got... I would rank them above Portland. I think that they're, you know, they're they're going to be better because they have a new coach. Uh, Dallas is going to be better with a new coach as well, and I, I think Luca's going to continue to to build. But yeah, I think the Warriors are better than those teams. I mean, but you yeah, got they, me, you got me all fired up for a Western Conference Finals appearance, and then you took that out for me no, immediately. I, I, I mean, I understand. I, I, I understand what happened I upgraded there, but... four to three. That's yeah, not, you don't want a three-six matchup. It sounded like you went from the second round to the third round, and I got yeah. all excited for that. I mean, I understand, and it, it's a good thing, but it isn't yeah, what well, I was well, promised. Well, LeBron James, just like in 2016, might dash the Warriors up. <laughs> <laughs> right when we were getting along, Mark. I mean, you've noticed I haven't asked you any questions about. 
about the stupid Lakers and we do not need to say LeBron. We're going to treat his name like uh, Voldemort for the purposes of this podcast. Last question. And it comes from the crowd. Uh, so every now and again, people will reach out to me with questions specific to guests and I get them about you frequently enough. Here's one quote. Wow. Really? Oh yeah. Every time. I hear or see Mark. He is remarkably well-polished and seemingly never makes a mistake. Please ask the funky Comedina whether he has ever had a work experience or any other experience that he is embarrassed of, but is still willing to share. So it's never fair to ask a guest to embarrass himself without me at least going first and saying something that's far more embarrassing. So I don't know if you have one. And if you don't, don't worry about it. I will fill the space here and give you time to think. Uh, and this one's recent and it's not work. It's just embarrassing. So, you know, Giants are in the playoffs, as you know, in a heated matchup against the Dodgers. In fact, game five tonight. Well, I was lucky enough, Mark, to go to Saturday's game last week, the game where they got their ass kicked. And I brought a friend and we had fairly nice seats. And, you know, it was fun. I was having the time of my life. I mean, it's a playoff game, Mark, against a hated rival. So I've definitely had some cocktails the whole nine yards. And we're sitting there and I don't know, sometime around the third or fourth inning, an usher comes down and starts looking at my friend and I. And I notice him and I, I'm not really sure what he's looking for. He has, he has a facial expression that suggests he thinks we shouldn't be there. But he hasn't said anything, but I'm ready for conflict. And finally, he comes out of his way and he talks to my friend first. And he asks him, what are you doing in this section? You know, why are you in this seat? And I immediately get pissed off, Mark. I become like a woke warrior because my friend happens to be a black man. So I go out of my way and like reach over my friend. It's like, what is it about my friend, sir, that you are asking about? Why can't we be in this section? And without missing a beat, the usher quickly asked to uh, to look at our seats and we are sitting in the wrong fucking section, Mark. <laughs> usher was 100% right. I went from like feeling myself in a way like, oh, I am, I'm so impressive here to seeming like such an asshole. Uh, like we had to cross over like six or seven people who had to stand up to let us out. They had all seen the conflict. So it was awful. It was absolutely awful. And then we went to much crappier seats and watched the end of an ass kicking. So not the best time, you know, not the best time for me, Mark. Uh, for you, anything popped to mind? Have you had any moments where you've embarrassed yourself in front of an usher or in front of an athlete and like that nothing crazy but the most recent that comes to mind is in the 2019-20 season uh you know Kawhi Leonard's first season with the Clippers I believe they were playing the Boston Celtics and he had an amazing block uh on one play and then he finished with a coast-to-coast dunk it was an amazing highlight reel and I asked Kawhi these were my literal words. Can you take us through the block and dunk you had? Because a lot of times when you ask that question, the player will kind of offer some color, walk you through. And Kawhi being Kawhi uh, literally took us through the block and the dunk saying, you know, I blocked the ball. I dribbled a few times. I crossed over. I leaped and put the ball in the basket. And he did it in this monotone voice. And it wound up being viral. So, like, it went through all the sports shows. And what is also funny is the next day I was scheduled to go on a Colin Cowherd's show and some of the other Fox shows. And, uh, and I wound up meeting uh, Brian Scalabrini for the first time. Uh, he, you know, he's a Celtics analyst and he does a lot of TV work and we were talking about stuff and then he brought up, Hey, you know, 
Did you see that clip from the other from yesterday? Some <laughs> dumb reporter asked Kawhi to take us through the block and then duck. And I was like, yeah, that was me. And then he started making fun of me about it. <laughs> Credit to you for saying that. Because if it's me, there's a chance. If I thought that Brian didn't know it was me, I'd be like, oh, I did see that. What a terrible question. Like, I can't. And then just hope to God that Scalabrini here, never finds out. here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, I'll take the yell. Kawhi gave a funny answer whatever. But I think – the thing that I always say is I'll laugh along with that, but then I defend myself because I'm not a pushover. And it's like, look, sure. like yeah. it wasn't a dumb question. If you ask that question to 90% of the players, they get what you're going at and they'll give you some inside perspective and color. But in Kawhi's case, he took it literally. So like, my whole defense is it's not my fault that Kawhi <laughs> took that question literally. But you know what? Whether or not it was a dumb question, it became a viral moment and people had fun with it. Well, I have no excuse. I apparently thought that David Duke worked at the Giants game and he does not. And it was just a giant misfire. It is what it is, Mark. I am positive that much like me, everybody out there needs way more Medina in their life. We've kind of teased it. We've alluded to it, but let's just put it on the table. Uh, where should those people go? Where can we find your work? Yeah, um, I'm at NBA.com. So go to that website and uh, you'll see all my work there and I'll be on NBA TV. And um, yeah, I'll definitely be for the Warrior fans. I'll be in the Bay Area. Um at some points this season. So definitely look out for those warrior stories as well as everything. I mean, I think the best way about being a fan is cheer on your favorite team, right? But like be informed about other teams. I, I think that that's good. So, you know, like who the opponents are, what sort of material you can work with on opponents. It just broadens your horizon. So like, even if you're a warrior fan that just cares about the warriors for selfish reasons, go to NBA.com for my work about the other teams as well support our boy and if you want to check us out you know where to to look our only social media presence is warriors huddle on twitter so at warriors huddle and we have a fancy new email address forever we had a gmail address now we have a real one mark you want to let me know that uh, I'm good, bad, anything that you liked Marcus's takes, that you enjoy Maxime's sound, whatever the hell it is, shoot us an email at huddle at warriorshuddle.com. With that in mind, go Warriors. Hopefully, we'll see you next week. Good, good. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line 
prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.